<laughs> I have to get up at seven o'clock and take the cat to the vet. <laughs> That sucks. <laughs> We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And welcome, welcome, <laughs> ladies and germs, to was- episode 100. <laughs> 100, 100, wait, wait. <laughs> we should have probably given you a warning about that. Warning, warning, annoying. <laughs> a annoying. trigger warning about warning. annoying sound. You're going to be triggered by how irritating we are. <laughs> yeah, we're excited about this one, Sipsters. If you don't like annoying noises, why are you listening to our <laughs> It's your own fault. You would have learned by now. <laughs> you should have gotten this by 100 episodes in. Oh my goodness, 100 episodes. That seems like a really big milestone. It's a lot of content, I gotta say. <laughs> we have talked into these microphones a whole lot. We really have. So when was our very first one? Our first episode was published February 10th of 2019. So we've done this for three years now. Oh, that's it's pretty wild. I don't know what to say about <laughs> okay. that. You asked I'm, like you I'm, had. A- I know. I'm just. I'm overwhelmed with how and and so before we started, uh, Ann and I were talking about like which ones were our favorite ones. Hard to choose, and it's really hard to choose. We've got some good content. Yeah, because like I was looking through them because I right away thought that I would know like a couple that w- that were definitely my favorites, and I do have some that I really really enjoyed. But as I went through the list, though, I was like, oh, that was a good one. That yeah. Was a- I mean, I know that sounds like I'm being boastful. No. I guess I am. Oh, sure. Okay, sure. Because, <laughs> damn, we had some good episodes. Well, they're fun. We have fun doing them, and I think it shows in the final product. And- yeah. Um, one of my very favorites was episode 22, which is the mirror neurons Yeah, why do you episode. think you, you seem to really like that I always go one. back to that one. I don't know, except that I thought it was just so interesting. I think I had not really known much about it before that. Because I had niche. to say that I learn stuff <laughs> when we do these episodes. I try not to. I try, I try my I best. I did not do that, but... <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> and like you and I talked about, I liked... The episodes that we did about any kind of experiments. Or- yeah, we have a couple of those like unethical experiment ones. Like the first mm-hmm. one's like episode 15. That's the shock one, right? Uh, what's it called? Want to shock a dude? Want to shock a dude. 
Sipsters, if you haven't just looked at the titles, you got to go back and just look at the titles because Anna like busts her butt to make hilarious <laughs> I do. titles. I do really do. And she's do. really good at it. I-, I think one of my favorite titles, which I also really liked this episode, the Munchausen episode, mm-hmm. episode 12. That was a good one. It's called Champagne. Champagne. Uh, it's like fake pain. Yeah. I asked my husband to help me name it. I, like we kind of talked about it for a second. And then I went upstairs to my office to keep working on it. And from downstairs, I heard, ah! And then he <laughs> sprinted up the stairs and said, Champagne! That, and that was that's how, a very good time. Very good one. And you're giving him a shout out for his creativity. He's so very that's smart. Good. I really liked the episodes we did about dreams. We actually did a two parter about dreams way back, way back. Seven, eight. Wow. I know. It's a long time. Several of your favorite ones are pretty early. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think that was because I started, like, <laughs> if I would have started on the other end, I probably would have said a lot of the older ones were Oh, you favorite. started scrolling from yeah, the Yeah, I end. started scrolling from one. So I was, like, seeing all these I liked, and I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And I had told Anna that one of my favorite ones was actually a very serious one. It was episode 26, which was mm-hmm. right after my late husband had passed away, like literally a week later. Yeah, we went on and we were pretty raw about mm-hmm. it. We talked about grief and we talked about what that looks like. And mm-hmm. it was rough, but it was good, I think. I think so, too. It was called Something Serious. Yeah. But I, I think the reason that I like it so much is because that has been something that I think that Anne and I have tried to do with our podcast from the beginning is to just be very authentic about what we're sharing and bringing the whole idea of mental health to a conversation of that we all have stuff and that we, yeah. we need to work on stuff and that we need to be authentic about what's happening in our lives and... And I think we have done that pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I think we make jokes a lot about, like, our big fancy psychology degrees. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we could get real, like, clinical or academic with it. But psychology is just who we are. Yeah. It's who we are and what we do all the time. And so, I mean, it we do try to be authentic with it because that's the only way we're going to get anywhere in psychology is by being authentic. That's right. So, basically, we've been doing this for three years. After three years of actually being therapists... We probably have some views that are different than when we did our very first episode. Yeah, we've got more stuff to talk about. So mm-hmm. our subject for this episode is mm-hmm. is a revisit. But first, I do want to mention something pretty exciting. That It's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That was for Anna because she's got some exciting exciting news. Um, So in the upcoming weeks, I will be on a podcast as a guest host. Um, I'm going to be on the Tennish podcast. So they do like top 10 lists of like they all kinds of stuff, sports and movies and like events and and Mm -hmm. huge. They have huge range and all their episodes are hilarious and they are really funny but um we've kind of plugged their uh podcast on our yeah and i think they've plugged us too so there's some mutual love there but i'm i'm very excited to be recording that i'm recording it next week so presumably after that it will be up at some point so if you don't go follow the tennis podcast go follow them and keep an eye out for when i'm on there yeah that's so exciting exciting and we could talk about it in a future one yeah, of our yeah, yeah. episodes. Unless you just like go on their show and then leave me forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, I'm never least, coming back. At least we got a hundred. <laughs> we reached a hundred. <laughs> so for our hundred, what are we talking about? Who? Who are we talking who, about? Who would we talk who about? Who could we possibly could talk be? about? 
Well, on our very, very first episode, our maiden voyage, <laughs> we talked about Sigmund Freud. The Freudman himself. <laughs> because that just made sense, right? Of course. For Freudian sips. And so we thought that for our hundredth, we should revisit yeah. Sigmund. Sigmund Ziggy. Ziggy. Uh, bud. So you you were kind of talking before we started recording. You were like, yeah, in our first episode, we did like a lot of bio. We're not going to do any bio. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do at least a little bio. You do a little I mean, bit of do bio. Do like a pinch of it. Do you want to do a pinch of bio just to get us rolling? I'll do a, a skosh, a soupçon of bio. Oh my goodness. I'm so <laughs> impressed by that. So, okay. So we're going to try to keep this as short as possible. That's not my That's skill not- set. <laughs> Not in my strong suit. Um, Pretend like you're in radio and you have a two minute <laughs> okay. until you have to join the news on the hour. Okay, go. Okay, so Sigmund Freud was born May 6th, 1856. He was the first of eight kids. He was born to Jewish parents. And I and this is a thing that I want to I want to hit you with, Mom, and see what you think of it. Freud's father, Jacob, married Freud's mother, Amalia, who was twenty years younger than him, Woo. and his third wife. Woo. And they- <laughs> did he have other children? Don't hear about him. No, he, it, it says Freud was the first of eight. Huh. Okay. So how how's that sitting with you? Just that. What happened to the first two is one of my questions. I would, I would be curious in that too. But also let's do some month math here. Month math. Let's. They were married on July 29th, 1855. Okay. So in our first episode, I talked about how like one of the sources I saw said that Sigmund was born <gasps> March 6th. Uh-oh. So the, the Wikipedia and stuff says May 6th. So if we do some month math here, let's just, ooh, let's, ooh, let's put on our calendar hats. It's not a thing. March 6th would be like seven months from their Ooh. their marriage date. Uh-huh. May would be nine months. Uh-huh. So even if they like just got married, they had to bone down immediately. <laughs> well, I would think if he married someone 20 years younger than him. <laughs> That's he why he was doing it, probably. Right yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe okay. his first two, you know, we're being very judgy. Maybe his first two wives died of... Tuberculosis. Yeah, there was some bad stuff. It's always stuff tuberculosis. Back. <laughs> really bad stuff back then. And so he married somebody much younger, hoping that she wouldn't pass away like the other two. Or she was Sad just hot. Is true. And- or she was just hot. Yeah. We'll keep that in mind later for, for some. <laughs> this is not a, that, that affected surprise anyway. tool that will come in later. <laughs> so he was very, very smart. He ended up going into medicine when he went to university. We're talking about Freud now, not his dad. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Freud. But it was either medicine or law because at the time, Jewish people were restricted to either medicine that or law. That was kind of their options. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he went on to get his medical license in 1881. He was about 25 years old. He was also engaged to his wife, Martha, at the time. And he was also starting cocaine. And he met Jean-Martin Charcot and Joseph Brewer. Lots of things are happening that in his life. was a very busy time. It was very busy for him. That's why he needed the cocaine to keep up all <laughs> so of the honestly, action. Honestly, probably. <laughs> but it was through knowing Charcot and Brewer that he ended up studying hysteria, which is kind of, I think, where he got his break into being pretty well known. Right. Um, but that was what they were doing. And Anna O, who's a famous hysteria case, was actually Brewer's patient. Mm-hmm. And Freud just kind of ended up 
working with her and kind of doing like the hypnosis and stuff that he was working on at the time. But through working with her, he went away from hypnosis and went to talk therapy, which I think Anna O oh is actually the one that coined that and, term. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she she was very involved in the process and they worked together for a long time, I think. But through both hypnosis and talk therapy, he basically found that a root cause of hysteria and what he called obsessional neuroses um, was very often repressed sexual experiences, specifically unconscious memories of sexual molestation in early childhood. And this was called Freud's seduction theory. Kind of a weird name. Kind of a misnomer. Yeah, because instead of calling it trauma, they called it something that seemed to be Yeah, I don't know. I don't know (laughs) if I'm just reading it weirdly or if it's like victim blaming, but I don't know. But the discovery was basically rejected at the time because the upper crust didn't really want to acknowledge how widespread abuse was. Right. And it kind of didn't help that he was a cokehead. I mean, he had started cocaine around the time, like I said, that he was starting to practice. So it's not like it was new. And at the time... He was a proponent for it. He was actually very, like, open about he would give it to patients and Mm -hmm. he would, you know, he was very open about, like, he thought it was helping him. Right. But I think that is very much a thing that we now look on as being, like, he was just a cokehead and we kind of dismiss his stuff. Right. But at the time, public opinion turned on cocaine. So at some point, people were like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. But for most of his practice, I think it was kind of accepted yeah, as a yeah. I don't know where else to put this fun fact a fictional Sigmund Freud was in a show with Sherlock Holmes in the 1974 novel The 7% Solution it was then turned into a film in, in 1976 so Dr. Freud was played by Alan Arkin and he helped Holmes who's played by Robert Duvall shake off a cocaine addiction <laughs> Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that was not at all what was going on in real life. Freud loved some cocaine and gave it to everyone so that it didn't help his credit, basically. Right. But he revised and obviously getting his theories rejected didn't help that. But it was also around this time he began diving into his own life and his own memories and analyzing his own dreams. 1896 popped up as a significant year. It was when he began to use the term psychoanalysis. So that was when he really coined it. But it was also when his father died. His Mm. father died that year. And Freud linked this to experiencing heart irregularities, disturbing dreams, and periods of depression. So that was when he really started to dive in and analyze himself. Like I said, he started to analyze his dreams, his memories. He started to explore his feelings of hostility toward his dad Mm. and what he considered rival jealousy over his mother's affections. And so Mm. that leads to what we kind of now know as his psychosexual stages and the Electra Oedipus complexes, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he basically revised his theories from saying, okay, every neurosis can be linked back to an instance of sexual abuse. And now he was saying that sexual scenarios still caused that stuff when Mm -hmm. you grew up, but it didn't have to be real. It could be real or imagined. imagined right, yeah. Right. So he was still saying, like, no, it's still weird sex stuff, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be real sex stuff. It could just be <laughs> in your head. So, in your head sex stuff. In your head sex stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> but then by, by 1900, he was kind of a big name. He published Interpretation of Dreams at that point. He was made a university professor a few years later, started gaining more prestige and followers, all that stuff. Eventually started the International Psychoanalytic Association with Carl Jung, who was a Neo-Freudian, and then kind of just started to uh, apply his stuff to like history and art. He died the 23rd of September, 1939. He was aged 83. He died of cancer of the jaw because, mm. you know, all those pictures where he's smoking cigars. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not good for you. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. And I mean, he smoked a lot. He smoked so many. <laughs> I think I saw, like, he smoked, like, 30 cigars a day or something. Crazy. <laughs> no, sir. That's an absurd amount of cigars. That's a big amount of cigarettes, but mm-hmm. cigars are like serious mm-hmm. business. I think it was 20 cigars, but he had 30 surgeries. 30 surgeries. That mm-hmm. sounds right. But I remember the 20 cigars. I actually remember that from our first episode that we had like a math thing about how many cigars he would have had to smoke <laughs> while he was awake. Because you're oh, only yeah. awake so many hours. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that was a big deal. We also the point, tried to do cocaine math and we didn't know how to do that Oh, yeah, like either. how much cocaine costs. Yeah. It would be more now probably with inflation and Oh, girl, inflation. <laughs> Buy cocaine Pan- in this economy? Inflation. No, no, no. <laughs> I can barely buy gasoline. <laughs> Cocaine's probably cheaper than gas at this point. These days, that's very true. <laughs> so All that's right. Freud, who, what he lived as, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what he lived as. Yeah. So let's talk about his theories. What uh, All this stuff. What did it lead to? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one is the psychosexual stages. Yeah, I think so too. So let's break into that for a second. Break it down. Oh, do you want me to break it down? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's break it down together. So there's five of his psychosexual stages. And we, we've talked about in lots of different episodes about different psychology theories about stages of development because there mm-hmm. there's lots of them. A lot but, of different psychologists have stage theories. Right. But again, he's kind of the one who, who started this all. Yeah. And, and his idea followed through with other theories um, that came after him that basically with each stage, there would be certain conflict and there would be certain things that you had to uh, accomplish to get out of that right. stage and move on to the next. And if you did not accomplish those things, then part of your psyche was stuck in that stage. Mm-hmm as an adult. So I'll kind of go briefly and then Anna, you add. Would you do that? So like the first stage is the oral stage. And I believe that's like from birth to around three years old, maybe a little younger. I think it's like one. Real short. One moment, please. (laughs) But it makes sense that it would be like a baby. If you think about uh, a brand new baby, so just like the first year or so, and that's their biggest instinct basically is to, to suck and to, you know, be satisfied orally. Um, the second stage is the anal stage, and that would be kind of through potty training and all that. And so it's all about what comes out the other end. The <laughs> what goes stage. in is the first stage, what comes, what comes out, out is the, the second. second one. Yeah. And we'll come back to the three parts of the psyche. Those are developing. So that's the id, ego, super ego. Right. And those are developing kind of by the end of the anal stage. Those have started to develop. Um, the third Which- stage... Like the id, I think, is there from the beginning. That is the the absolute beginning. Yeah. Right. Because the id is just all of those primal instincts that you have to have pleasure. The pleasure principle is is kind of, wasn't that the name of his book? That sounds right. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that we should come back and talk about the id id and the ego. Yeah. Third stage is the phallic stage. That's when they start to be affected by the Oedipus and the Electra. 
complex, which we're going to talk about also. And so phallic stage is three to six years. So Freud was really serious about like, this stuff is baked in. (laughs) Right, right. Baked in. That's a good way to put it. Okay, then the latent period. What's that age? Six to puberty. That's a pretty wide range. And Anna and I were talking about how you think about, okay, if you go back to the phallic stage, so just just on a real um, visceral level. So the oral stage is all about just, you know, wanting to suck and wanting to be fed and, and that, that pleasure comes orally. Mm-hmm. And then we move to the anal stage, which Freud was saying, basically the pleasure came from pooping. Sure. From, you know, getting rid of it and uh, <laughs> learning how to control, you know, that potty training stage. and, and the- Which I can definitely see that as, be- I mean, like, We've said this on our show before. We are existentialists and existential Mm -hmm. theory is a lot about control and like the things we can control in our life. So I can understand like there being a, I guess, stage to get through in taking control over those bodily functions. Exactly. That seems like a pretty significant milestone. Right. And so I'm going to go through all of them and then we'll come back and talk about like how an adult would act maybe if they were stuck at a stage, okay, according to Freud. Yeah. So so the anal one and then the phallic one is is basically, it's kind of all about penis. It's, <laughs> that's what sure. we call it a phallic symbol or something. And and it's like either focusing on the penis or focusing on the lack of the penis. That's right. what that stage is basically about, according to Freud. Yeah. And so then the latent stage, I think is a little more confusing and latent stage is basically a time where it's kind of like, ah, it's okay. We're not really thinking about it <laughs> no right now. No one's really thinking about like sex. We're not, we've already, you know, worried about the, you know, oral needs and the anal needs and, and, and whether or not we had a penis and whether we are we're okay with that. So now we're just kind of like, ah, whatever for a while. There. Because technically then the idea was you haven't hit adolescence yet, so you don't have those hormones that drive your sexuality. Right. And so this latent period was like, we're just waiting. We're waiting for the hormones to kick waiting in. Waiting for the sex to kick That's in. That's right. That's Everything's boring until the sex hormones <laughs> kick in. And then when the sex hormones kick in in adolescence, the last stage is called genital. And it goes for the rest of your life. Yeah, puberty to death. <laughs> That's a long. That's a long time. Long stage right there. We talked about this in first and then we kind of went on to do other stage theories where like Erickson stages go literally from birth to death and there's like 20 of them. Right, <laughs> right so many right, stages. Right. But each stage, like, I mean, like the later ones might last a couple decades, but nothing like this where from puberty to death, you're in the same stage. Exactly. So what Freud believed was that if each of these stages have some conflict within them and things that you need to get through, if you didn't successfully do that, you might have gone on and moved as, you know, you've developed and you did hit your hormones at some point, but you're not really in the final stage because you are fixated, you're stuck in one of the stages psychologically. Yeah, which again, other stage theories have that too, where if you don't like resolve the main conflict of that stage, you might become stuck in it. Right. And you may not be able to move forward in like your maturity or whatever. So again, it's pretty, with Freud, it's pretty visceral, it's pretty basic, the explanations. Like if you are fixated in the oral stage, it it is as simple as it sounds like you didn't get enough oral pleasure or stimulation during that stage. So, and so that's that kind of ongoing joke, for lack of a better word, you didn't get breastfed enough. So, you (laughs) know, like, so you have those jokes and those comments, like, you know, if, if men are really into women with large breasts, it's because they're 
orally fixated or or if you see someone who does smoke a lot or who I was going to say like choose on their pen like the the oral fixation I think that we usually have in in mind kind of in the cultural consciousness is like nail biting or like smoking or mm -hmm. like chewing on things using your mouth for that kind of stuff right but it goes back to not having passed through that phase well so the anal you didn't phase didn't suck good enough. That's right. <laughs> so okay, um, you sucked at sucking <laughs> when you were a baby. Right. So the anal phase, I think, is interesting because that gets into the things that we talk about when we talk about someone being anal retentive or anal expulsive. Yeah, it doesn't mean you like poop a bunch. No, it doesn't have anything to do with poop. Actually, not at that point. No, <laughs> but it could. I, you know, the idea is that it did come from pooping. It came from either you felt like you were being too controlled. It's, it's got a lot to do with potty training. Yeah. And Which so- it's either. <laughs> The balance is so delicate because, like, it says if the parents take an approach that's too lenient with potty training, then you're going to be anal expulsive personality, which means, like, messy and destructive outward, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if if they're too strict or you begin toilet training too early or any of this other stuff, you can become anal retentive and do, like, too strict and too orderly and rigid and stuff right. like that. So... You have to go right in the middle where you're very good at the potty perfect, training. Yes. Perfect poop, perfect right? balance of pooping. <laughs> Which is very hard to get when you try to train a kid how to use the potty. It's hard to do when you're an adult is to find the right balance of pooping, let alone when you're a baby. But, you know, through the through this theory, the idea is that like like exactly what Anna said, that if you are retentive, you're you're uptight and you mm-hmm. like things to be very neat and this kind of borders on that idea of O C D and that organizational stuff yeah and the expulsive is the opposite i have always you know i i do identify with the idea of being retentive expulsive like Mm -hmm. a personality which is because i am a person who i do like things to be orderly and i do have ocd tendencies so i like things to be in their place but just once in a while i just like what (laughs) throw shit around you know it's like sometimes my desk gets really messy is it because you didn't poop good enough when you were a kid (laughs) i don't know maybe (laughs) i don't know i just i find it very hard to believe that just like potty training could have that much of an effect effect on a person i agree it seems a little overdrawn i think it could affect just like how you feel about you know, you hear jokes about, you know, that people that don't like to poop oh, in, sure. in public restrooms yeah. or whatever. That could definitely be traced back to maybe your practices and I mean, I in think your home. Like, so if the argument here is like, okay, your parents were too strict when it came to potty training, or your parents were too lenient when it came to potty training, probably it's not like they were like super good parents otherwise, and then they were too lenient. <laughs> right, right. Like, toilet training is not the only place where that comes up. So there's probably true. more widespread family trauma. Right. And Freud's like, no, it's because they weren't with him when he was pooping. <laughs> like, okay, Sigmund, what? I think there's more to this, bud. <laughs> yeah. So in the phallic stage is the whole idea of Electra and Oedipus. You want to talk about that? Oh, God. 
I will. I'm so, so excited about that. <laughs> so uh, the Oedipus complex, I think, is the one that most people are more familiar yeah. with. Um, so the Oedipus complex comes from the Greek myth of Oedipus, who ended up killing his father and marrying his mother through no fault of his own. He didn't, he didn't want know to. He was doing it. It was an accident, yeah. in fairness. <laughs> And you may say, how can you do that accidentally? <laughs> Go watch the show. Uh, so I don't wanna, no spoilers the, here. Read the cliff notes. No spoilers. <laughs> but the basic theory that Freud was saying was, and again, this comes back to his own like analysis of his own stuff. Right. So I think he's really telling on himself here. Mm-hmm. He is saying that all boys have a sexual attraction to their mother. Mm-hmm. when they are especially in this stage which again three, to, three six. to six right he didn't come up with the electric complex i think young did young so one of his students came up with it but the electric complex is the same thing but with girls to their fathers right so there's all that freud himself didn't really have the electric complex like section of the theory he thought girls had penis envy and he thought boys had castration anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it was very much about like whether there was an actual physical penis on the person. Right. And that happened in that period from three to six. And if you think about little kids, we get very nervous about sexual harassment, sexual issues. But kids who are three to six years old, that preschool age – they, they just have a curiosity about sure. parts. And so, yeah, they they literally are going to, if they have the opportunity, yeah. they just look and see, four, oh, I have one of these. A four-year-old going, why don't I have that? Right. Is not a four-year-old girl going, oh, I desperately want the, that wing-wang. <laughs> <laughs> and a little boy saying, what happened to hers? Oh, my God, they cut it off. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a very right. much like a kid schema thinking like, how do you lose something? Oh, right. you get it cut off. Oh, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> but again, I don't think it's like I, I, I don't I don't know this. I've never had a penis to fixate on being castrated. But like, if that's a thing guys have that is pervasive in their life, wear better pants. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Keep your guard up. Where are you? (laughs) We're a codpiece. Get a codpiece, yes. (laughs) But, you know, as an adult, that can manifest in ways like a feeling like people do not take you seriously as a man. Mm. You know, people don't look at you as being masculine enough or people judge you for being too effeminate, maybe. Ways that that might manifest later in life. And we talked about this in the first episode, too, about, like, how the penis envy thing, especially, like, talking about the context at the time. I mean, Freud had to literally recant what he was saying because, basically, the sexual abuse survivors were not being taken seriously Mm -hmm, enough. mm -hmm. So I, I think there is a legitimate thing where women can look at men and go... Gosh, I wish I was taken as seriously as they are. I bet it's because they have a penis. But that doesn't mean we want the penis. It means we want to be taken seriously. Right, right. I don't know if this is a good time to say this, but it just came to my mind because you were talking about, you know, how we respond that way. I had kind of a disturbing experience the other day with one of my adolescent clients, a female, who was talking about, you know, that she had been in a situation where she kind of felt like someone was making a pass at her and she was very uncomfortable. and. 
in this situation, it was another female making a pass at her. But that's what she was talking about. But in the comments that she said to me, she said, I mean, I realize I'm a female and I just kind of had to put up with that. From boys. That's how she said it. But other girls, no, no, no. Yeah, it was, you know, and I said to her, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to put up with (laughs) it from anybody. But isn't that sad that even now today, I mean, because this is an adolescent in 2022. Yeah. And we've had the whole Me Too and all the everything else that's come along and all of our awareness about sexual identity and all that. And yet somehow our girls are still getting some of that. They're still getting some of that. Well, that's just the way it is that that I will be sexually harassed to some degree. Right. Because I'm female. That's amazing to me that that's still alive. And Well, I don't think it's changed. I mean, I think even with the like Me Too movement and stuff, I think that there's still catcalls and there's still people that deal with that from people who see it as normal. And because it's normalized, it doesn't get changed. Freud would say it's (laughs) all about sex. So it's what's so what's so let's hop to the latent period. I don't yeah. get the latent period very much. I don't either except I think according to Freud it was like so we did all our investigating about our parts from 3 to 6 and so then from 6 to adolescence it was like okay I know I got one I know you don't got one. Now we just <laughs> let's gotta wait. Just go on with life. <laughs> gotta wait until we want to horn up horn up until each other. we know anything about anything. Yeah. Which is, is I mean if you put that into modern modern day now with kids who are having sex when they're 10 and 11 years old. Well, I was going to say that's fully in the latent period. I mean that's yeah. before puberty for right. most of them. I think puberty's happening earlier. Right. We do have earlier pubescence. That's very true. But I think a big part of that is just the whole idea of social media and kids being fed things earlier and earlier about their sexuality. And this is, So this is interesting. It talks about how Freud talked about during the latent period that the sexual energy is like repressed or it's like put into other areas So, like, intellectual pursuits, social pursuits, or anything like that. So, he's saying that basically still what drives us is the sexual energy, but we're, like, funneling it into different stuff. It's sublimated. Yeah. Okay. So, when you're, like, eight, and you're, like, really good at kicking kickballs, (laughs) because you're just super horned up and you're waiting. (laughs) Again, it's kind of weird to talk about like being fixated in a stage where there's not sexual energy or whatever, but it talks about like being fixated in the latency stage can result in immaturity and like not being able to form fulfilling relationships as an adult. Right. So I think that makes sense. It does make sense. And so then, bam, the hormones kick in and you are in the genital period. (laughs) Forever. For for the the rest rest of your your life. life, Your genitals rule your life. (laughs) That's, that's rough. That's basically what we're saying here. It's a bit reductionist if we're, if we're being honest. <laughs> so how do you, I guess you can't, you get stuck in the genital stage because you're, you're in it forever. You're in it. So you were really stuck in it. I guess. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> this is just your life now. Live with it. So I wonder how Freud would handle people who, you know, identify kind of as asexual. Or trans. Would he just say, like, being trans is penis envy? Probably. And we talked about in the very first episode, we talked about, like, that he was openly judgmental about lesbianism, but that he kind of quietly embraced male homosexuality. 
he didn't like not outwardly, but that that he was you know had some of that going on. He was so. real against lesbianism because his daughter was a lesbian, right? Or I mean, I don't know chicken or the egg, which came first. But I think he was upset that his daughter didn't have an electric complex. She for didn't follow him. through with the rules. Yeah. yeah, he's like, no, you're supposed to like me. And she's like, no, I like ladies. And he's like, that's not all right. <laughs> the whole penis thing, just keep them not away from okay. Me. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. Um, let's talk very briefly about defense mechanisms. Okay, but w- we've talked about them a lot, and we kind of yeah, talk about them yeah. a lot. Anna Freud, the the lesbian daughter <laughs> which was mentioned, yes. um, who we did a whole episode on, episode sixty nine is all about Anna Freud. She talked about her dad having ten defense mechanisms in his work. Mm-hmm. So repression, regression, reaction formation, isolation, undoing, projection, introjection, turning against one's own person, reversal into the opposite, and sublimation. Whew, some of those are really weird. Some of them are really weird. Like turning against one's own person, when I looked that up, it, it, it it's basically talking about self-harm mm. and how that's a defense mechanism. Hmm. But I would put that in, like, sublimation. Like, I would put self-harm in sublimation. Sublimation is when you take one energy and funnel it into something else. Like you said, the latency stage is sublimating. Right. But is sublimation supposed to be funneling it into something that is healthy? I mean, I don't think necessarily. Okay. I don't think defense mechanisms are healthy. (laughs) I mean, some of them are. They are, we've talked about this before, that even though they're not healthy, it is the way our brain is trying to save us. Yeah. Our brain is trying to do something good. It's just... It's just doing it in a way that's maybe a little misguided. Yeah, not not the greatest way to do yeah. that brain. But things like repression, I think, is one that people know a lot about. Repression is... So there's repression and suppression, which are very similar. Mm-hmm. Repression is when we don't intend to put something away. It just gets... Is that right? No, it's the other way around. Frick. <laughs> you were this close. Dang it. Okay. So su- repress Are on you purpose. sure? Are you sure? 99%. Okay. Let me look it up. I believe that repression is the one that you do on purpose. And okay. suppression is. So like I've repressed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So repression is the one that you do on purpose. And suppression is like when things just kind of yeah. get pushed back accidentally. Right. right. And you're not even aware of it. Uh-huh. Pressed into your subconscious. Yeah. Regression is the next one, and it's regressing to, like, a former stage, basically. Right. Or being younger. Do you want to tell us about reaction formation? I know that's your fave. It's your fave <laughs> uh, Reaction formation is when you feel strongly pulled to something that you feel like you shouldn't be pulled towards, so you have this very strong opposite reaction. So the one that's the example that's always used is a person who is very openly talking negatively about uh, being gay, but in reality, they are pulled to be gay themselves. The gay lifestyle. Right. So they try to defend against that feeling that that for some reason they think they should be doing it. Right, right. Or a person who, you know, pickets outside of the of the adult the adult what am i trying to book say store? yeah no not a bookstore no like like a porn shop a library porn shop. yeah <laughs> what the porn. hell is it called adult Por- toys <laughs> adult sexual toy shop i don't know so they're out there with a picket stand but but no, they the really old porn shop they really want to go into the ye old porn shop and if they would go in there they would be very happy and excited <laughs> but they know they shouldn't 
So they're out there picketing, so, and that's a reaction formation. So one of the other 10 that Anna talked about was the reversal into the opposite, which isn't that just that's reaction re- formation? That's reaction formation. No, reaction formation is listed also. Really? That's yeah. interesting. Because that, that sounds like the same thing. It is. Hmm, so, that's interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a ton of other defense mechanisms, but those are the ones that Freud right. himself right. focused on and used in his work. And and you could probably, Sipsters, you can kind of look at your own life and you can think about like what your brain does kind of almost, well, it is automatically. Your brain uh, kicks to these to defend against a situation that is uncomfortable for some reason. Mm -hmm. Projection is also one of my favorites. I mean, not that I like it. (laughs) I love doing projection. But boy, I see a lot of it, especially in couples work Mm -hmm. in my my sessions. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that we talked about before we started this episode was that since it's been three years since we did that first one, that with the therapy we've done, we've seen more of these things than when we did our first episode. Right. And we know these things are real. I don't know about you, Anna, but I definitely understand much better now about the whole idea that our subconscious really does... Hold a lot. It it, <laughs> it kind of tends to direct us yeah. in so many ways. Yes, when it when we still have the choice of how we act on those things, but boy, our subconscious is always always present. Yeah, and I think like CI would put that more in like trauma work, mm. like like how the things that have affected us, especially negative things, mm-hmm. are stored right there, and we're always acting on them, even if we're not aware of it. Right. So it's stored in the subconscious and we're making choices based on that even if we're not thinking like, oh, because I've had this trauma, I need to react like this to protect myself. We're just doing that automatically. Right. So some of the other things that we should just kind of mention that we attribute to Freud Mm -hmm. and that that kind of continue on, he was a big starter of the whole idea of transference. Yeah, that was like one of the biggest things in psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. So what is transference? Transference is when we act out with our therapist. It's kind of like, hmm, I have to kind of give an example to give it definition. So like a person goes to their therapist and they're working on issues that they've had with their mother and they put onto their therapist their emotions and their feelings of their mother. So in other words, there's kind of seeing, this is good for me because I can be seen as a mom or grandma, but they kind of put on the therapist their feelings. I was about. thinking of Freud doing this and like there's just a guy talking to him and like uh, like they're getting to a place where he realizes that he's transferring like his mother feelings and Freud's just like, how hot am I right now? Just one to ten. <laughs> How attracted to me are just, you right just now? Describe me as a mother, please. Yeah. <laughs> is there a better way to define that, Anna? No, Transference. I think that's, it, and it's actually, it is something that we kind of want to happen in therapy yeah, to bring out that subconscious stuff. Exactly. And that was a big part of like psychoanalysis where uh, in psychoanalysis, the clinician wouldn't reveal anything about himself. Mm-hmm. So like- that was a big part of that to just kind of give a blank slate for people to transfer on. Right. And then you can use that transference to like break that apart and kind of see what is in the unconscious and the subconscious and process it from there. Mm-hmm. But that's where like the thing about falling in love with your therapist comes from because people are like transferring like intimate thoughts into their therapist who are being open with them and authentic and intimate and giving them a space to be open and intimate. So it's kind of 
transferring these romantic thoughts right and to become that vulnerable to someone yeah opens up that that door to that those kind of feelings right there's also counter transference where the therapist can put things on the client and Mm -hmm. if that happens that also needs to be addressed and that's a problem that's that's usually not something we're wanting to happen no that's not great right but you know therapists work very hard to be unbiased and to be non-judgmental but we're still human so there are times that we work with a client where that client reminds us of someone or they they say things or do things that make us feel uncomfortable for some reason and that's kind of the those things that are happening in counter-transference and we have to deal with it. Yeah. And as clinicians, it is part of our job to say, like, why am I having this reaction to this client? Like, right. what is going on? Are they actually doing something? Is this coming from somewhere in me? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I work through this so it doesn't get in the way of clinical progress? Exactly. Talking about the unconscious stuff, we can kind of talk about dreams for just a second because yeah. analysis of dreams was a huge part of Freud's work the interpretation of dreams was one of his biggest works his his most well-known books so he basically said that dreams have latent content and manifest content and so the manifest content is like what the actual dream is like i dreamed i was on a stage you know what i mean but then the latent content would be what the subconscious or unconscious is trying to tell us through the dream right so he really believed in talking through dreams and figuring out what the latent content was. And he often believed it was wish fulfillment from the unconscious coming through in dreams, mm. which I have enough anxiety dreams. I don't, I don't believe I don't that. That's wish. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about don't know. you, but most of my dreams are, are that I remember are anxiety yeah, kind of dreams. I, was, I would say I have more anxiety dreams yeah. than just like regular dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> Sad. I don't want to say about our life, Anna. <laughs> oh, I think everyone's feeling that right now. Okay. What do we ego, miss? super ego. Okay. Which is one of my favorite concepts. I'm a big sucker for it, ego, super ego. As a trope, even. Like, if there's ever, like, a group of three people in, like, a piece of media, you can be like, these probably correspond to it, ego, super ego. So, id is... Like mom said, the pleasure principle. So the id is all of our impulses, all of our things that we just want to do. Again, kind of we're born with it. Like we are driven by id when we're babies. Right. I want what I want. I want mm-hmm. it right now. Mm-hmm. And then the super ego is basically how we look at the people around us and what we take as like society, like societal mores. Basically, like, the morals that the society lives by. Mm-hmm. And so the superego kind of tamps down the id and the ego based on what society finds acceptable. Right. And we've talked a lot about the shoulds, you mm-hmm. know, like those the, the voice in your head that says, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. Right. That's kind of the superego. I've been finding myself working lately with ADHD a lot. And one of the things that I think, not only ADHD, like I know anxiety and depression has this, but but I think especially for ADHD brains, just because of how they work, I've talked to a lot of people that are like, you know, I want to clean my house, but I'm not doing it this way. So it's like, I I don't feel like I'm doing it right. Mm. And I'm like, do it however works for your brain. Right. (laughs) Like we, we have this thing that's like, if it's not how everyone else is doing it, then it's not right. And I shouldn't do it that way. But basically, if it's functional, and it's not hurting you. It's not hurting anybody else. Do it. 
Right. Do it however works for you. It doesn't have to be how neurotypical people do it. Promise. If we're trying to live how everyone else lives and do it things the way that they do it, when that's not how our brains work, it's not going to be effective for us. So I think it's it's freeing for people to hear like, it's okay not to do that in the way that you've been told is the right way. That's a very good way to say it. So you kind of had to go against the superego sometimes, a just a little bit. And the ego is our kind of true authentic self or sense of self, I guess, is the way to say it. It's the balance between the two. Yeah. We talk a lot about balance on this podcast. Yeah. So the ego kind of goes, whoa, you're both right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's compromise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can have a little bit of that pleasure, but you also want to fit into society. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So when my id is like, I don't want to do work. I just want to drink a nice coffee and not do anything. Then my ego is like, well, (laughs) the superego is saying that we have to work a little bit. But if we work... Then, then we can you get can nice have your coffee. coffee. <laughs> my kid's like, fine. You're so strict. I hate it here. <laughs> That's a very good way to describe it. <laughs> I have one more concept to talk about, and then I think we can wrap it up. Is okay. that fair? The last concept I want to talk about is a parapraxis. Do you know what that means? No. A parapraxis is a Freudian slip. Parapraxis. Uh huh. So it's when we say something, but we mean something else, but the thing that we said is revealing an unconscious desire that we have. Ah. So what is, is that a parapraxis? Is that a, like a, (laughs) who uses that word? (laughs) Is that a dinosaur? What is that? No. Is that a word? Who uses that word? Instead of just saying Freudian slip. (laughs) The APA Dictionary of Psychology. Ah, okay. Uh-huh. So they had to come up with a fancier word than Freudian slips. They didn't want to give Freud that credit. Yeah, I guess. And I don't know about you, Anna, but I've had that experience oh, in my absolutely. life where I'll say something and then I, I have to admit to myself, the reason I said that was because I had this thought or that thought. Right. And that word just came out, you know. So it really is something that happens. Oh, yeah. It's it's not too deep to think of that, you know. It's no, just like, yeah. no. And again, that this kind of goes back to we were kind of nice to Freud in our first episode. I think we were nicer than some people expected us to We were be. loving on him a little. We were. But like we talked about this in the first episode too where – not everything Freud said was wrong. Right, right. I mean, we we rag on the sexual stages a little bit because I do think Freud had his own stuff that was coming yeah. up. <laughs> so I think he was kind of like trying to overgeneralize based on his own stuff. But, right. but I mean, you know, defense mechanisms are, I think, hugely applicable. Right. We still use transference and countertransference. I mean, mm-hmm. that's still a thing that gives us a tool to process unconscious stuff in therapy mm-hmm. and even talk therapy like the psychoanalysis itself the psychoanalysis theory is to release repressed emotions and experiences and to make the unconscious conscious and mm-hmm. that's still what we do that's what therapy is basically yeah we yeah. uncover stuff and we figure out why we're doing things and we figure out where things are coming from so that's still what we do right i mean right. that's still what we try to accomplish in therapy in a way. Right. Just it looks different now. We're smarter than Freud now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not doing all the cocaine, we're, so we're, we have more brain We have brain slightly cells. less cocaine. 
Slightly less. <laughs> <laughs> he set the bar pretty high for cocaine. So that's, those are all the uh, the theories, concepts that I have. Do you have any that you want to throw in? I don't think so. I, I would just add, I think that Freud based a lot of his theories on just his clients and the people he worked with. And he continually pointed out, you know, these things that, that goes back to what we always talk about, that everybody has something, you know, and... Yeah, I, I saw something that, like, I did a quiz about, like, how well do you know Freud's theories? And one of them was, like, where did his theories come from? Like, how did he come to his theories? And it was, like, experimentation, something else, and then case studies. And it was case studies. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he truly didn't do, like, big widespread research. Right, He right. just worked with patients. His people, yeah. Which is great, but there was a little bit of kind of overgeneralizing with right, that, I right. think. Especially I think- since one of his favorite clients was himself. Right. Which is not, I don't know if you know this, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) We're not real objective when it comes to um, doing therapy on ourselves or trying to figure out our own stuff. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why it's good to find a good therapist because we need to have someone outside of ourselves to help us to sift through our stuff because we're too close to it. We're also too close to family members. We shouldn't try to therapize family members either. Yeah, there are some lines that you yeah. don't cross. And generally, analyzing your own dreams is, is pretty far <laughs> pretty far past that line. Right, right. So after all these episodes, we still love Freud. Yeah, he's yeah, still, Freud's still, he's still our still boy. The guy. Yeah, he's still the guy that we, we he's say. He's our main man, Freud. Yeah. We wouldn't be doing this particular... We wouldn't be here if it weren't for Freud. <laughs> Be here as in doing these particular uh, be, episodes being here about on psychology. the podcast, yeah, yeah. not yeah. like on the earth because he really <laughs> had nothing our to grandpa. Do <laughs> We've traced our lineage back. <laughs> no, 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 That'd it's be not awful. like that. It's not like that at all. Wow, a hundred, a hundred episodes. Wow, what have we learned? <laughs> Some, but not a I, lot. <laughs> No, I have. I've learned a lot. That's one of the I reasons do feel like that I have I, too. Yeah, I enjoy because we we study and we you know, look on the internet for stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude, I put a lot of work into like researching and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We and do. I and I do feel like I come out the other side understanding things a little yeah. better. So, sisters, we hope that you feel the same way that when you listen to the podcast, that maybe once in a while you learn something or you are validated about something that you are going through. Because that was part of what we said earlier about doing our best to be authentic and be real uh, with you guys. Yeah. That we want it to be something that, that we all kind of learn together and grow together and, and feel validated together. Feel like we're not alone in all this. And the last couple of years, that was one of the things that struck Anne and I as we were looking back through the titles that, you know, the pandemic that we still even now kind of is being lifted, I have to say. that Eh, We're we're getting there a little bit. But it's still hanging in the air. And more and more there's articles and research being done about how it has affected us, (laughs) our mental health. And they're even coming up with new terms about, you know, the trauma that's coming out of it. So... We've kind of gone through this together. Yeah. Again, we kind of joke about like, yeah, I think everyone's in the same place. But I truly do believe like almost everyone I talk to is like, yeah, I'm just really depressed right now. Like I think everyone is really struggling just to kind of like we are still in a pandemic technically. But even if it is lifted... I mean, we're kind of trying to figure out what life looks like again, and right. that's that's a bummer. So there's one of our almost every episode plugs for therapy. That, <laughs> yeah, no that if you are feeling weighed down and you're not really even sure why, 
find a good therapist and talk through it. Right. And see that you're not probably alone in that struggle. And that therapist will help you bring what is unconscious to, <gasps> to the, the conscious. conscious. Freud. Oh. <laughs> Freud conscious. Is- <laughs> <laughs> Freud is like, yes. From wherever he is. <laughs> Hell, maybe. <laughs> no. He's probably doing okay. So I need to thank the Sipsters thank for listening. Thank so freaking much. For a hundred episodes. And I know that some of you are, what do we call those people? Uh, golden Chalice Sipsters. Golden Chalice Sipsters. You've actually heard, oh my gosh. You've, you've listened heard us to talk for a hundred episodes. episodes. That is amazing. And even if you are a new Sipster and you've only just heard a couple, we would encourage you to just kind of go back and look through some of those great titles <laughs> that Anna came up with and pick a couple that you think that you would enjoy and check them out. But we thank you, Sipsters, because if it weren't for you, none of this would make any sense. We also wouldn't be here if not for you guys. That's right. And it's don't you forget- guys and Freud. That's it. <laughs> That's right. And don't forget to listen to the podcast that Anna's going to be guest hosting. Yeah, go follow Tennish Podcast. If you and, haven't listened to them, they're yeah, really listen funny. To some of their stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. We hope to see you in episode 101 <gasps> and everything after that. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site's FreudianSipsPod.com. Those have stayed the same the whole time. We are. We're branding. <laughs> we got that. If you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to email us your favorite episode or ideas for new episodes. We would We're love that. Always looking for that. Yeah. FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com is where you can get a hold of us. Please remember wherever you're listening to leave us a nice rating and review. So Apple Podcast, uh, Good Pods is a new one. Pod Chaser is another good one. So yeah, find your favorite podcast thing and leave us a, a good old thumbs up five stars, please. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.